listening to the relentless Russia phobia in this place, why are people surprised that Russia sees no uh, point in engaging with the EU? I'm as happy as anybody else to stand up for anybody's rights, including Navalny's. But let's be honest about him. He's a vicious anti-immigrant racist on maybe 4% of the support in rallying hundreds and thousands in cities of millions, hardly a mass movement. And we wouldn't be discussing him at all if he'd been arrested anywhere else other than in Russia. Meanwhile, Julian Assange has been incarcerated for almost 10 years for exposing US war crimes. We can't mention his name. Tomorrow, Pablo Hassel, a Catalan rapper, is going to prison for his lyrics. Where's the call to sanction Spain? Tomorrow, 62-year-old Claire Grady is going to prison in West Virginia for her role in the non-violent plowshare action against Trident. Where's the demand to break off links with the US? Or the outcry about the hundreds of people arrested in this city on a Trump protest a week ago? Nowhere, because this isn't about human rights. This is a geopolitical agenda against Russia, fueled by a military-industrial complex who need an enemy to justify their millions. Of course you're right to go to Russia. We should be engaged in dialogue, not war. Claire Daly, Mick Wallace, welcome to Renegade Inc. Thanks a million. Thank you. Claire, uh, hard-hitting stuff. What you're getting at there is the abject uh, hypocrisy uh, at the heart of what's so-called uh, defence spending. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely... Uh incredible for us. I mean, there has been a seismic change in the European institutions now. For the first time in this budget going forward, we have direct public money being spent on uh, defence. And obviously with more and more billions being pumped into this, uh, they need an enemy to justify it. And clearly Russia has been made uh, into that characteristic for, for that purpose. It's mad stuff, really. Pretty dangerous game, isn't it, Mick? Once you start poking the Russian bear, uh, it's not like uh, you know, having a, a little uh, military skirmish somewhere in the Middle East. The, uh, so these superpowers, uh, things can go badly wrong, can't they? I, I would argue that um, while the sanctions um, do have some form of impact on the Russian economy, I, I, I would think that the Russians are not actually lying awake at night worrying about the EU at the moment. And uh, their statement that, you know what, uh, I think we'll just deal with the member states uh, rather than the EU institution as a unit. And of course, when they say that, what they mean is they mean Germany and France. And people need to remember that the European Union is run by Germany for Germany. And France would be the sidekick. So if Russia continues with a, a reasonably decent relationship uh, with Germany and France, they won't be overly worried about the, the a lot of the mindless anti-Russian rhetoric that's expressed, especially in the parliament. You can see that the Germans were not backing down on Nord Stream 2. Business is business. And they want it to happen. And despite an awful lot of pressure from the Americans, a lot of pressure from the East Europeans, uh, a lot of pressure from uh, so-called uh, human rights defenders, uh, they were going ahead with the project Hail, Rain or Snow. And you, you've seen something similar with the investment deal they did with China just before Biden came into office. 
the Biden administration contacted the European Union and said, listen, please, lads, hold off. Let's talk about this when Joe gets into office. Uh, but you know what? Germany's biggest trade partner is China. China Germany is waiting for nobody. And the deal went ahead. Isn't it interesting uh, that Vladimir Putin uh, said that the US has become an unreliable partner? He's tried and tried and tried to uh, make alliances with them, do deals, and actually has uh, often walked away empty-handed. Um, and then more recently, Sergei Lavrov has said much the same about the EU. Where does this all end? Because ultimately, uh, you can't reject a multipolar world forever, can you, Claire? There's a moment where you have to say, we're going to sit down with um, uh, so-called enemies and make them allies. Well, you would think so. And that's why we were fully in favour of Joseph Burrell going to Russia. Of course he should. He's a diplomat. That's his job. Russia is a key part of the European continent and we should be having good relations with our neighbours. So whose interest is it not to have good relations? That's and a really good question, isn't it? Whose interest is it? We often ask on this uh, uh, programme, Qui Bono, to whose uh, benefit? To whose benefit is it to keep Russia as the bogeyman? What we're seeing is a key part of the narrative is being pushed by the military industrial complex who are deeply embedded here in the heart of the European Union. Obviously, we see similar processes in uh, the United States. The European Union is very Atlanticist in its outlook. It tends to follow the United States lead, which we think is really regrettable and ridiculous. Uh, but that seems to be where it's coming from. These are the ones benefiting. There's no one else in Europe benefiting for it, that's for sure. Flying bombers to uh, NATO member Norway, that isn't going to help, is it, Mick? Hardly, no. I wouldn't blame Putin for feeling that uh, the US and the EU no longer represented uh, reliable partners. Mm. But people forget that um, last year the Americans spent $740 billion on defence. Now, they refuse to introduce Medicare for all for their own citizens. And if you're going to turn around to your citizens and say to them, sorry, we can't afford to do Medicare for all, but we can afford to spend 740 billion on defense, uh, you have to have some uh, excuse for it. And Russia is one of the main ones at the moment, and China is the other one. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, look, we, we, we point out on a regular basis that uh, America has been a colonialist project from day one, from the, from the time they wiped out the native indigenous people the, uh, in America itself, uh, right up to today. And US imperialism hasn't really stopped. They haven't really changed their approach. In 1945, uh, there was a financial expert uh, gave a talk in America and he said uh, to some of the decision makers, and he said, America today, he says, has 6% of the world's people and we've 35% of its wealth. That figure has actually even gone down. It's actually less than 5% of the world's people now. And he said, if you want to maintain 35% of the wealth with 5 or 6% of the people, he says, it ain't going to be easy. And he says, you need a very strong military complex. Wow. And that hasn't really changed dramatically over the years. The sad part about it for us is that, unfortunately, Europe has been too complicit in, the, in supporting them. They have turned a blind eye to war crimes and terrible atrocities where what America does in order to enhance its financial interests around the world. Will it change? Where's it going? Uh, I like to believe, I'm an optimist, and I actually think that it's got so rotten and so bad 
that I don't think the European people are going to stay silent forever. Mm. You can be assured that the majority of the citizens of Europe, this is not what they want. They actually don't like people's homes being bombed out of it. They don't like the fact that nearly 40 million people have been made refugees by wars. And they don't, a lot of them even don't, don't like it then when they try and come to Europe uh, uh, to, to make a living and, and to survive uh, and to send money home to some family they left behind. The Europeans are waking up to the fact that all is not good. I think they're incredibly well informed. I mean, the response to my speech, I only had, it was only a minute and a half, but I had received an, a massive response from right across Europe of people who can see through the Russia-phobia narrative. I mean, Russia and China are not security threats to Europe. They may be economic rivals, if you like, but they're certainly not uh, security threats, and this is just utter nonsense. But the consternation that's caused in uh, Washington, supposedly some of its foe. Uh, but uh, this it, jumping up and down about, for instance, Nord Stream 2, how possibly are they going to derail this when the Germans, the French and others uh, across Europe need that pipeline? They're not. <laughs> no, <laughs> They're not. It, it isn't going to happen. And yeah. if you remember back in 2017, uh, that's when the pressure really started uh, on this. And what happened was, uh, Trump threatened to put tariffs on manufactured goods coming from Europe to America, mainly cars, right? Uh, mainly German-produced uh, stuff, okay? And the European says, please don't do this, right? And one of uh, the, one of the battering chips that Trump had, he says, right, he says, I want you to take our liquid natural gas. I want you to take our frack gas and you build... Uh, plants and Europe went ahead and planned to build 13 of these plants and one of them is actually in Shannon in Ireland right it's called the Shannon LNG which we've been opposing from day one but this is nuts you're talking about the filthiest way ever of taking a fossil fuel out of the ground carrying it 5,000 kilometers across the Atlantic and instead of actually buying it uh, from our neighbor in Russia and which is the gas is cleaner and at present, it's still uh, turning out to be cheaper. But look at one of the, uh, the Germans fobbed off Biden a couple of days ago uh, on the Nord Stream 2, and they said, listen, remember, we can always, uh, even after it's built, we can stop it and we can close it any day. But obviously, listen, <laughs> <laughs> listen you don't spend billions so that you close it down afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you talk about Shannon, it dovetails beautifully into our next bit. Talk to us about your story. You've written the book, Coalition of the Unwilling. Uh, people don't really know about what's happened outside of Ireland. Tell us uh, what, about the action that you took uh, regarding weapons, uh, military aircraft, Shannon Airport, and your uh, intervention in trying to stop these, uh, this military adventurism in far-flung places. Okay, well, we were both members of the Irish Parliament and in 2014, as part, I suppose, of a bigger group of activists who oppose 
US militarism and who opposed the use of our civilian airport in Shannon. In the west of Ireland, we're supposed to be a neutral country, so we don't take sides. The official laws of the country say that any military um, machinery, air, air, airlines, whatever, weapons, anything can't come through uh, Ireland on the way to war. It's explicitly for forbidden. So we have this peculiar ar arrangement, which really started around when US troops were anchored in Germany and they used to return home for their holidays in the summer and that they used to pass through Shannon Airport and nobody really minded that now and again. But the situation changed around the Iraq war and Afghanistan where the numbers of flights coming across Ireland multiplied to the tune that we've had over 3 million US troops transiting through Shannon Airport on their way to theatres of war in the Middle East. And that is absolutely reprehensible anyway, but it's particularly appalling that it's happening in neutral Ireland and people don't know that it's happening. So we basically broke into the airport, uh, climbed over the fence uh, to examine the aircraft because when we were in the parliament day in, day out, we used to raise with our ministers why are you not upholding our neutrality? And we were given a ring around between different ministries telling us, oh, it's not my job, it's the other fellow's job. These, you know, civilian planes, military personnel can come through on civilian planes if they get permission. But then the military planes come through and we're supposed to believe they've no hardware on it. It's utter nonsense. These aircraft and personnel don't fly halfway across the world for nothing. So we broke in to search them because the ministers told us they had no weapons. We believed they had. We proved in the court case that followed our criminal activity, uh, which put a bit of publicity on the issue that that was the case. Jumping over that fence, and I love this because your first chapter in the book is Renegades. Jumping over that fence, Mick, turns out that you handled it quite well. Claire, yeah, you not so much. What happened? As you know, I spent my life in the construction industry, right? Yeah. And I wasn't in an office, right? <laughs> I was on site. I was well used to uh, fences of all types. Yeah, but not with rolling uh, barbed wire or razor wire on it. All you had was a doormat exactly, to put on the exactly. top of it. Listen, the, the guy who, we had a fella from Shannon Watch, and he made the rope ladder, and he got a bit of old carpet to throw over the fence first so that we would be, we wouldn't be getting entangled in the barbed wire. So he throws over the carpet, big high fence, throws over the rope ladder. I got over first anyway, and it wasn't really a problem, but I was used to climbing stuff. But so I was holding the rope ladder then on the inside for Claire, and Claire uh, comes up, and of course she reaches the top, right? And she's inclined to panic a bit anyway, right? And uh, she panics, and, and she, she feels she's falling back so she just dives in. I just said, more or less, she didn't want me to go ahead and search the planes without her. Absolutely. Right? So she dives in and she was going to break her neck, only she landed on me. And her head, her shoulder met my shoulder. So her head went down past my shoulder. If it hadn't, she'd have broke her neck because she was coming fairly fast. And she was coming like a like an, uh, an arrow. So you're just trying to claim like that he saved my life, but um, oh, I, didn't, I, I, I mightn't have saved her life, but I saved her neck. Mick, Claire, welcome back to Renegade Inc. So uh, we're at the point in the story where, Claire, you've just fallen uh, off the top of the barbed wire. You've hit Mick quite hard. You're inside. You're what's called airside. Is that what they call it? 
you're the yeah. runway side of the airport. You're a, you've just committed a, a criminal offence, but you're highlighting a, an amazing uh, cause, which is American uh, military flying through Shannon Airport, going off to kill people in far-flung places. What happens then when you're airside and you start going across the tarmac? Well, we decided to be kind of fairly responsible out about it. So we put on high-vis vests and, and, and we made our way towards this enormous um, military, U.S. military plane. Uh, we almost made it when the airport police arrived on the scene with the old flashlight on and pulled in front of us and basically uh, put a stop to that. They called uh, the, they brought us to the uh, airport terminal where we were arrested by the Gardaí at that stage and brought to Shannon Town then where we were uh, interviewed and released pending uh, charges, which were subsequently uh, brought upon us. But you did something really smart with the court case, didn't you? Because you turned it on its head. Uh, instead of it being you on trial, what you actually did is put the US military on trial and shone a light on what they were doing, all this nefarious activity through Shannon. Yeah, I mean, it brought light to the fact that the Americans have been engaged uh, in wars of this nature uh, for, for, for hundreds of years, uh, since the formation of their state. And we were bringing light to the fact that the Irish were complicit in helping them do that. Uh, but so while we were supposed to be on trial, we were well prepared for the trial. We had powerful witnesses, some working in the airport, some uh, peace activists, uh, some people of a, from a law background, because what was happening was actually a breach of international law as well. We not only did we put the American military behavior on trial, but we also put the hypocrisy of the Irish government on trial. And we showed that, I mean, they were literally, for, for years they've been telling lies about their own complicity in this arrangement. I think we were really lucky, like, we were just the figureheads, but the people we assembled as part of our witnesses were absolutely fantastic. Like, and bear in mind, we were in the Irish Parliament now for years before that, asking questions of the Minister for Foreign Affairs, the Minister for Transport, the Minister for Defence, and the Minister for Justice, all telling us that no, our neutrality wasn't being breached, that weapons weren't coming through. We proved, we even had a witness who had been arrested for stealing a gun off a US military plane, but of course he could never be charged because there was no guns on it. Thematically in the book, it's absolutely obvious that what you're getting at is the semblance of neutrality. Uh, and as you said earlier, Claire, Ireland meant to be a, a neutral country. Actually, in practice, it uh, couldn't be further from the truth, could it? Look, it's bent the knee to US imperialism largely because of the foreign direct investment, which is pretty reprehensible. I mean, we spent 800 years trying to fight British imperialism and then roll over and become basically vassals of the United States, afraid to take any independent stance for fear that we lose this uh, investment. And we all prostitute ourselves as a tax haven, actually, really, as well, to come in on that basis, which I think is, is, is crazy. But that, that's kind of where it uh, sadly comes from. Let's get to the judgment. What happened then uh, in the court case? Tell us uh, how it panned out. <laughs> well, we put all these witnesses, as Mick said, we had a really good array of witnesses from airport workers who gave testimony to seeing weaponry on flights, for, to seeing strange flights, which they all was suspected to be rendition flights, which probably passed through Shannon. Uh, we had a journalist who had traveled on a US military plane where, and we played the tape of the flight of the, the US um, captain 
telling the troops to leave their guns on the seats when they go out into the terminal. So we proved that side. We also had some um, activists from the area who had gathered testimony over years, legal experts, and our, our own testimony of what... So the judge heard all that, in fairness to him. He was a district court judge, assembled normally used to doing a bit of shoplifting or whatever. I <laughs> yeah, was hearing what he thought was a case on trespass, and it became a three-day trial with the Geneva Convention on International Law and uh, the Hague Convention and the whole lot. So, uh, look, he played, he played his part in that as well, but he did convict us in the end. We were uh, given a sentence, a 30-day sentence, in lieu of a fine of 2000 each on each of the counts. We said we weren't going to pay them. We didn't pay them. Uh, and then maybe months, a year later, was it? But a year came, later. But a year later, well. they came looking to arrest us for our 30-day sentence. Um, and that, that was another story as well, because the police found that. Well, it's quite a long one, but basically <laughs> Mick went first. He reported at his uh, guard station and was arrested and brought down to Limerick Prison. Um, we had, he hadn't, he had thought he was making an arrangement with the guard there to maybe go down the following week, but he was literally taken off. I was in the <laughs> Irish Parliament, was waiting to meet him for lunch, and the next thing it comes on the news that he had been uh, arrested <laughs> and brought to Limerick Prison. So I had to quickly ring my guard the station and say, oh, listen, please don't come and take me. My daughter's at school at least let me let her know that I'm, I'm not going to be home. So wait. So they did, in fairness. So I went home, told her, and reported myself to the guard the station. But by the time I got to the guard the station that <laughs> evening, Mick had already been sent back because there was too much people in the prison. Uh, they don't keep people there for fines. Uh, so he was sent back wearing a special guard the car with two guards on overtime were bringing me to Limerick a couple <laughs> hundred kilometres. We passed on the way uh, and then I had to go back as well. The whole thing cost them about 20 grand, a thousand, and they were going mad. We were blamed for that expense as well. But loads of people learned then that if you don't pay a fine in Ireland and you get a prison sentence, you'll only serve a couple of hours and you can save all the time. <laughs> When, when I was arrested, when I went to the station uh, to arrange to be arrested sometime, because I was, I was led to believe that that's what I was to do. And they said, we're arresting you now. And I said, what? I said, yeah, no, come on, we're bringing you down now. And I said, can I get a, get a few clothes, a bit, change the clothes to bring down with me and a few books? <laughs> I, I'm going to be reading all the, all the days. I've 30 yeah. days, I said, I'm not reading to do. Right? So I want to go back to my house and, and get some clothes and books. And, and it, was a, it was a female guard and a male guard. And, and the female says, well, I'm going with you to the house. And I said, that's no bother. Come on. So, <laughs> we, went. so we, went, we went back to the house and uh, I got some few clothes. And I had already, I had already a stack of books that uh, I wanted to read. And I got my books and I went down. And uh, when I went down and they brought me in and they, they, they put this display top on me took a picture of me in my prison uniform and they gave me a number and I was all set and I said, 30 days. I said, I'm going to miss Christmas now, I said, you know. And I want this new year, you know. And the man says, no, no, if there's no trouble, he says, you'll get out in 23 days. I said, really? Oh, that's brilliant, I said. So anyway, he says, I'm putting you in a cell here now, he says, and I have to leave you. I go, well, we have to get a cell ready for you. So we've no cell for you, he says, but we're trying to get one ready for you. So I have to put you into this room here, he says, for a couple of hours, and I'll be back to you, he says, when I have you sorted. So anyway, a few hours later, they let me out. 
What can we do? What can the average EU, UK, Irish citizen do now from your point of view uh, to keep pressure on elected officials to stop this absolutely mindless uh, war machine? I suppose there are so many people already doing it. Like in Ireland, there's, you know, opinion poll after opinion poll says that people want to be neutral. Um, but they've got to vocalise that. I mean, we would work with activist groups uh, at home, certainly, around this issue. But also we'd be aware of many of them around Europe who campaign for peace, for demilitarism and so on. you just got to keep doing uh, what we're doing. Truth will out eventually. These uh, crimes that are being done in our name are not being done with our support. And I suppose one of the things that we built into the book was we reproduced for the first time all the WikiLeaks cables in relation to Ireland. And information is power. So people need to hear what's going on. They need to educate themselves. And that can then uh, hold you know, power to account. You open the book with a quote which says, if wars can be started with lies, peace can be started with truth. And that's from no other than Mr. Julian Assange. Mick, uh, are we now at the end of this uh, US uh, strategy of bomb the hell out of the place and see what falls out. Uh, have the EU uh, citizens, the Brits uh, and the Irish had enough? Listen, it's very hard to say that we're at the end of it, but I, th I think we're entering a new chapter because, as Claire said, the people are becoming better informed. And even in Ireland, the amount of people who became more aware of it because of our trial and because of us getting into the airport in the first place and the actions of a whole lot of others as well is making a difference. And people are starting to realize that their governments who unfortunately they elect, uh, a lot of the time are doing things in their name which they do not approve of. And as Claire said, the, the big thing is to get the information out there. Mm. The people right across Ireland, England and Europe have got to muster more support, they've got to organize themselves better, they've got to challenge their elected representatives before they elect them and say, listen, we'd like peace, not war. I think the key, the key area where change has to come about is from the United States itself, and we've seen huge changes there below the surface, but unfortunately, I think experience will tell us that Joe Biden is going to make no difference whatsoever in terms of US militarism. He will carry on the same democratic or Democrat tradition, which is exactly the same as the Republicans, but it's out of that disaster, I think, that the American people themselves will have to challenge those in powers, and, and they, their people have been exposed like never before. Mick, Claire, um, that is a, an amazing interview. Uh, I genuinely laughed for, uh, throughout it. Your actions at Shannon Airport, uh, sensational. The book's amazing. What's the one thing for both of you that made you laugh most when you're trying to scale a fence uh, and then getting nicked on the tarmac to inspect an American <laughs> military plane uh, and then make a massive political statement? The funniest thing I found was during the trial, right? So people can see us, they know what we look like. And if you see the video footage, we have our cute little high-vis jackets and we're walking through the long grass and mixed golden curls are flowing in the wind. And this video footage is being shown from the airport cameras in the court case in uh, Ennis. And the judge then stops the video and says, sorry, and excuse me, and which one is Deputy Wallace? And the whole court nearly collapsed. I said, and that's, that's my memory anyway, like you know, but uh, 